HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by 818 Tequila, delicious and smooth tequila, made in harmony with the earth. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly. Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm Alexa Santos, a food editor at the Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Here on the Feed Feed podcast, I'm speaking with members of the hashtag Feed Feed community to hear their stories, get their culinary inspiration, and also hear about some of their best cooking tips. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by Hannah Sundarani. She's the founder of the popular blog and recipe app called Two Spoons, plus her Instagram account at twospoons.ca. Hannah is a vegan cook sharing all plant-based recipes. In her debut cookbook coming out May 31st, she shares over 100 vegan dishes inspired by her time in France, plus nearby cultures. It's a stunning collection of recipes made simple for every day and any occasion. I'm so excited to talk to you, Hannah. Thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. Of course. So, okay, first, first things first. Let's just clear the air. I'm one of those obnoxious people who's like, I studied abroad in Paris. So I did. (laughs) I studied abroad in Paris. (laughs) So what is your deal with France? Were you there for a while or what what kind of was your story there? Okay, yes. So I was there for uh, a little bit of time, about four years. Um, I moved there in my late 20s with my husband. Um, And the reason why we went actually is because he got offered a job abroad. And it kind of uprooted my career as well, moving over there. And that's sort of how Two Spoons all began. We moved to France and I was like, you know what? I've always loved cooking. I want to start sharing my recipes. And so it really was that move to France that kind of pushed me to start my blog. Oh my gosh. Well, here you go. So you, where are you? Okay. So that answers that question. Let's run it back. I'm jumping all over the place in timeline, but <laughs> let's no run it back to the very beginning. Like, where are you from? Where is your family from? What is your background? Um, yeah. What's kind of the early stories of, of Hannah as it pertains to food? <laughs> 
So I was born and raised in Toronto, um, lived there my whole life until we moved to France, um, where I was based in Lille, which is the north of France. Um, And we can get into a little bit about that, but I'll tell you a little bit about my uh, food experience and kind of how I became a plant-based cook. Um, So that kind of started in my early 20s. Um, I didn't jump into vegan uh, cooking right at the beginning, but it definitely stemmed in my early 20s. Um, I went through a really stressful period in my life uh, when I was in university. I actually lost my boyfriend to cancer and it really affected my body. Um, I I think stress manifests itself in and for me, um, it really affected my digestive my digestion, and I was having a lot of troubles with that. I went to see a few GI specialists. They all diagnosed me with IBS and sort of told me, like, okay, well, you know, you've got IBS, you're just going to kind of have to live with these symptoms, um, which was really hard to hear when you're like 20 years old. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god! Yeah, you like only the rest oh of your gosh. life. Yeah, it was it was pretty challenging. Um, And so I did try um, their recommendation. I took like a couple like pills that they had given me, but it wasn't really working for me. And so I decided to turn to food for medicine. Um, And so I did an elimination style diet. And at the time, like gluten-free wasn't really like a thing yet. (laughs) And I remember when I did this elimination diet and it was like, I did cut out gluten. um, I cut out dairy. And I remember like not even knowing what gluten was back then. Like I was like, (laughs) Now it's like everything is gluten free, like even vegan, like everything's vegan now, but at the time it was really hard to find. So, um, it really kind of made me hone in on what I cook and like where I kind of like source those ingredients, like even things like when I, you know, gave up dairy, um, finding things like almond milk, like that was really hard at the time. And there was only like one brand and it was in this, like it was, wasn't in the typical section that you find your milks. Like you kind of had to like weave your way through grocery stores and lots of places didn't have it. So anyways, long story short, it really did open kind of the world of cooking in this type of way. Um, I think vegan recipes kind of do follow a similar path being like dairy free and often gluten free. And so, um, learning how to cook with things like quinoa and all this stuff, um, that wasn't as popular at the time, um, became really interesting to me. And I started sharing my recipes a lot with my friends. Um, and so, I've always kind of been interested in like the sharing aspect. Um, And when we moved to France, as I mentioned, I kind of decided like, you know what, Um, I'm going to do this (laughs) for good. (laughs) I'm going to start sharing those recipes. Um, And just to let you know as well, the effects that it had on my body was just like tenfold, like things changed drastically in a very short period of time. And so um, it really felt like it was the right decision for me. And then over time, just kind of learning about the world of you know, factory farming and the benefits to the environment, I moved and kind of transitioned really naturally into a vegan diet. Well, look at that. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. No, and I'm glad that it, I mean, it sounds like it was really difficult to like sort through all that and figure out how to adjust your diet accordingly without 
all these things being as prevalent as they are now. So I can only oh, imagine how sure. difficult that was. For sure. And I feel like I can really relate to people when they say that they're struggling like with digestive issues and, you know, like not really knowing where to begin because I was a hundred percent there and it was a lot of trial and error. Um, but I personally found that kind of leaning towards a plant-based whole foods diet was really beneficial for me. That's amazing. So yeah. you grew up in Toronto. So I know you, you mentioned your mother is British. Um, I guess what is kind of your family background and what type of food did you grow up eating? Yeah. So yeah, before we started the podcast, Alexa and I were talking and uh, we both discovered that our moms are British, which is so yes. cool. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's so funny because um, like my family's kind of from all over the place. So my dad uh, grew up in Uganda um, and he is originally Indian, but grew up in Uganda. Um, then there was the coup uh, in Uganda where they kind of wanted to just spell all of the Indians. Um, and oh, wow. so he ended what, up... What year was that? This is like a history lesson. Uh, that, I didn't yeah, even know. I think that was in the... Oh, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but it was like the eight, 80s, I think. Okay. Um, no. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> I'm definitely <laughs> getting this wrong. But it was... It was Google it, coup. people. Yeah, people Google. <laughs> it was the coup. It's when Edie and Mean kind of took over and there was a big uprising and they they sort of like wanted to get rid of um, the Indians in Uganda because there was just, there was a lot of like racism going on at the time. And the idea was that they were contributing to um, the poverty in Uganda. And so Idi Amin was sort of like, okay, we're going to get rid of um, the Indians. And my dad, unfortunately was one of those people. And so he uh, ended up becoming a refugee and they um, moved him over to England um, and he was a refugee there. He lived in camps for many years um, and ended up meeting my mom. <laughs> um, well, I yeah. guess it all worked out then. <laughs> so he ended up meeting my mom. Um, my brother and my sister were both born in England. And I'm the only one who was born in Canada. So they ended up moving to Canada. Um, they had me. And as I said, I was born and raised in Toronto. Um, but it did kind of this idea of sort of like living abroad and living in other places has always been celebrated. Um, and so when this opportunity came for us to move to France, my parents were very gung-ho about it. They were like, absolutely, <laughs> you should go. go experience the world. And because um, they're British, um, I was easily able to get to France at the time. I mean, now because of Brexit, things have changed. (laughs) But it was a transition for me in terms of like getting like a visa and stuff like that. Um, So yeah, I was lucky in that aspect. Okay, so you have a lot of backgrounds, it sounds like in your family. So did you who which of your parents cooked more if either of them did you kind of grow up with Indian food or Ugandan food or English food or all of the above. (laughs) So my mom is definitely the cook in our family. So we actually grew up eating a lot of British food, which I'm sure Mm. you know, like the bangers and mash and the Yorkshire shepherd's pie, shepherd's pie, lots of like meat loaves and stuff like that, which is so funny because now I'm vegan and (laughs) we grew up eating so much meat. It's like totally like opposite. Also like bad quality meat is the thing. Like it was. It's never like a nice, it's like leftover like pot roast that you like turn into a shepherd's pie. Like what is going on? 
Exactly. That's exactly what it was like. Um, yeah. So my mom was very similar. The one thing though, is that she did always cook. Like we always grew up with cooking in the house. Um, um, we always had like hot meals and she would actually bring like warm meals, like to school. Like she was just like the best mom and drop them off at lunch. So we definitely grew up in a culture where like cooking was important. Um, she did, she does dabble in Indian food because like, obviously like with our background, um, we love it and my dad loves it, but it's so funny because she always puts like a British spin on it. Like she puts raisins and everything. (laughs) (laughs) Not okay. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Did she serve you guys afternoon tea? Um, yes, we had, we would have afternoon tea around three o'clock and like, oh wait, but it's so funny. I don't know if it's like this in your house, but like all, every hour is tea hour. Oh, always. You can always have a cup of tea. And if there's anything wrong with you ever, it's like healed with a cup of tea. (laughs) Oh, a hundred percent. So my, just a quick little recap of my British background as we get completely derailed from the question I originally asked, but (laughs) my mom moved to the U S when she was a baby, my family immigrated over from uh, England. My, so my grandparents were the ones who were like mm. full accents, like doing oh, the yeah. whole. So my mom was born in London, but really didn't grow up with an accent or anything like that. And she grew up in New York. So it was my grandma who was really like pushing the British customs on us. So, you know, my grandma would be wanting to give us afternoon tea. And my mom's like, the children are five and eight years old. Can we, do we, we don't need to do <laughs> tea. They're never going to go to bed. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> there was that whole like juxtaposition of like oh like my, my grandma's background and then you know obviously us living in the states and my mom raising us here is like no we don't need oh to have afternoon gosh. tea for the elementary school kids we're good <laughs> oh my, yeah my mom is definitely of the like-minded with your grandparents like she thinks that you can introduce tea like at any time like yeah. anytime of day, age <laughs> I love that. I'm obsessed with tea, so I'm, like, fine with it. But, I mean, yeah, it's definitely funny when you think about, like, small children having, like, cups of black tea in the middle of the afternoon. (laughs) So funny. Oh, my gosh. So so your mom started dabbling in Indian cuisine. And then – so you kind of had – a wide variety of things that you were able to kind of learn about and watch her cook. So did that kind of kickstart your fascination and love of cooking was kind of watching your mom or how did you get involved with that? I think definitely. I think watching my mom for sure. I've always just loved food. Like according to my mom, like, oh, my first word was chocolate. No, what? (laughs) Yeah. My first word was chocolate. I will say that I started talking around Easter. And so there was a lot of conversation about chocolate. That's like a ridiculous first word. Like, I know. Apparently, three I syllables. I know. Apparently, I didn't say it like perfectly. I said more like clocklet, but like definitely would point to the chocolate and try and say oh it. So, God. That's, like um, a, that's like a meme. That's like, that's really funny. So, I've always had a like a very big interest in food ever since I was like very, very tiny. I've always been the foodie in my family. Um, mm-hmm. And then definitely watching my mom cook, and she's a really good baker as well. So participating in that growing up. And then even like when I talked about me kind of, um, having my stomach issues and I was in university, I started doing a lot of cooking, uh, for myself. And she was a major resource when I was going through that. Like I would be calling and texting all the time being like, how do I do this? How do I do that? Um, so yeah, definitely having my mom, uh, kind of allowed me to, pick this up more naturally, I think. 
Yeah. No, it's the same thing for me where like both of my parents were very involved with kind of the food world in their careers. And so I, you kind of, it's, you know, certain people that I talk to whose families like weren't really that involved with cooking. It's kind of like, oh yeah, I went to college and then realized that like, oh, I need to learn how to cook for myself. Whereas people like you and me, we kind of our whole lives are like, oh, this is important. Like cooking things from scratch, like learning how things are made, like figuring out your likes and dislikes and how to incorporate that into food. So like, I totally get it. We are, we're two birds of a feather, my friend. (laughs) Sounds like it. (laughs) (laughs) So when did you start kind of when you, it was not until you moved to France, right? Until you started kind of sharing this food or were you kind of cooking for other people back in Canada or like, when did you kind of start realizing like, Hey, this is what I want to do. With my yeah, life. so I think that like I always kind of knew in the in the background that this is something I wanted to do. I think that like because I was living in Toronto and things were kind of static in my life, like you know, you have your friend group and then you have your job and you're busy on weekends. It was sort of always kind of like a dream of mine, but like I just didn't feel like I had the time or resources to be able to do it. And so mm-hmm. when we moved to France, it was sort of the push that I needed to decide to do something that I was actually passionate about. And I've always been, as I said, I've always been passionate about food and cooking and I've always shared my recipes with my friends. Like I, I was sort of known as like the, the foodie and the one who liked to cook. And like, I would have birthday parties and like cook like dinner. Like I'd be like, no, we're not going for dinner. Like (laughs) you're going to come here. I'm going to (laughs) cook. So, um, so I've always been known for that. And I think that when I moved to France, I was like, you know what? I want to start sharing this. And actually when I moved to France was also when I decided to go vegan. Um, And so I was like, this is a good opportunity. Um, I can kind of uh, talk about uh, going vegan and also what it's like to be vegan in France, which is interesting in itself. Um, And okay, that was my next question. (laughs) (laughs) Being vegan in France and how, you know, basically it's almost an oxymoron that your cookbook is like a French inspired (laughs) vegan cookbook. How? I have so many questions. So like, how? (laughs) I know, right? It's so funny because it's like, you decide that you like go to France and at the same time you decide to like be vegan. It's like, of all the places that you could go in the world, like probably France is like the least welcoming to like be like, it's like, it's rooted in fromage and And butter, charcuterie and butter and like cream and like all these things that like have nothing to do with vegan cooking. And that's when I decided to go vegan. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think honestly of like where would be worse. And I was thinking maybe Italy, but not even because you no. could have plenty of like pasta and bread with just like red sauces and Absolutely. olive oils. Pizza marinara and, and the pasta. Yeah, and the oils. Like, no, it is definitely France. France. <laughs> France is definitely the worst. Yeah, because if you were somewhere in like, you know, you could do Mediterranean pretty easily. You could do even Indian pretty easily or like yeah. anywhere in Latin America. <laughs> No, why did I pick France and like, why did I decide to go vegan then? It's so funny. It's like, you're totally right. It's like, it's like, what is she doing? (laughs) Oh my gosh. So when you were living in France, like how did you do it? Were you, cause I mean, when I lived there, when I studied abroad, even, you know, I was in college, so it was, I wasn't super, I wasn't like obsessed with fitness or anything, but even living there as someone who wasn't vegan and didn't care that much about, you know, fitness or eating healthy, but was just kind of like, yeah, I would just love like a salad with chicken. Even that's like very hard to come by. Yeah. 
in France. So like, how did you do it? Like, were you just cooking a lot at home or like being very particular about where you went out to eat or how did you do it? Yeah. So I'll tell you, I'll actually tell you a funny story is, um, I mean, we did go out to eat a lot and what I would do is I would kind of call in advance and let them know that I was on a vegan diet. Um, I found it was a lot easier if I gave people sort of like notice in advance, um, okay. instead of just kind of surprising them and then being like, well, what do I do with you? <laughs> but, <laughs> but I remember like I called in advance to let this, um, one restaurant, know that um I was coming and I was vegan and I swear like they must have the chef must have been so annoyed <laughs> the fact that I, I was, was like <laughs> and I remember them like coming out with my main course and I kid you not they put it down and it was a carrot that was cut <laughs> in half and that was the meal it was like a half of a cooked carrot and I was like oh my god they hate me <laughs> Oh my God, that's hilarious. Because that's the other thing about France too, is they're not afraid to like kind of show attitude. Like I feel like if you're being like, I'm coming to your restaurant and they're vegan, they'll just be like, don't come. Yeah, just don't (laughs) come, right? Like, yeah, that was basically like my exit clause. Like it was like, you are welcome to leave. (laughs) Yeah, like by all means, like go ahead. I actually went out for to a French restaurant that was like super, super authentic the other like last week. And Mm -hmm. I was obsessed with it. It reminded me of being in Paris. Like, it was, like, just this cute woman, like, in the kitchen with, like, a couple of line cooks. But it was very, very small, very authentic, very, like, quaint. And it was adorable. But it was kind of the same thing where we ordered, like, dessert. Like, she had this homemade meringue. And Mm -hmm. they were like, well, we have the chocolate version or the raspberry version. But the chocolate version is her homemade sauce. The raspberry is just, like, one that she sourced. And we were like, oh, well, we kind of want the raspberry. And then we he called it into the kitchen. He's like, okay, yeah, we did meringue with raspberry she was like oh, no no like she literally said no like French yeah. people do not care they'll tell oh, you yeah. what you need yeah. to hear <laughs> yeah which is like so lo- like it's so like shocking and also so lovely at the same time because like they're just so honest and like they and they take their they take cooking and they take food really seriously which I can personally appreciate like yes um they don't want to do anything half-assed like they, they want to mm-hmm. throw everything they have into it. And so, um, and again, like that was just like one like funny example, but typically when I would tell people they were very accommodating, especially if I gave them notice in advance, I think a lot of chefs would kind of see it as like an opportunity to, um, like test something different. And I would even have sometimes like the chefs come out to ask like how my meal was. And they were like, Oh, like I had a lot of fun creating this. Um, so there was definitely like very positive sides of it too. But I just love that story about the cooked cat. That is, that's really good. Did you get like a fair amount of, I guess, ratatouille was maybe something you (laughs) Yeah, ratatouille and a lot of lentil dishes. Like French people really do love lentil dishes. Um, they love Mm -hmm. using lentils Koi lentils, um, the green ones, are very traditionally French, and so there would be a lot of dishes that were kind of based in that, and like a like a nice like broth, and then they like put like a bunch of cooked vegetables, and yeah, they were always quite creative, actually. Okay, cool. So yeah. then you you had an okay time with it, but then how did you convert this experience to like? If you, I mean, off the top of your head, like some of the re- recipes that are in your cookbook, like mm-hmm. I'm trying to rack my brain for like what uh, <laughs> besides ratatouille, what like <laughs> a French vegan dish would be. So I guess what are some of the things that you have in your cookbook that you were yeah, inspired by? So I've got, I mean, I there's a lot. There's, of course, there's the ratatouille. There's also a really nice mushroom bourguignon. 
Um, there's mm. a really beautiful risotto. There's so many French dishes that actually – and one of the things that I love about this book is that it sort of proves that like you can take your traditional recipes that you like and with a few tweaks here and there, you can make them French. Uh, sorry, you can make them vegan. Um, mm-hmm. So like for example, there's a recipe in the book for vegan croissant and like what? you probably – yeah, you probably think that you can't make croissant vegan but you totally can. And I have to tell you that these croissants are so good. Like they're buttery, they're flaky, they're light. Um, So yeah, it's just kind of knowing the different techniques and um, getting comfortable with working with some of the vegan products. So like, for example, um, my croissant, I use a vegan butter and I give a recommendation to my favorite one, which is the Miyoko's brand. Um, it's a mm. European cultured butter, very similar to, to traditional. And so when you're rolling it out, it's it's very nice and hard. It's going to stay cold and just kind of knowing the techniques. Um, and then even things like making pastries and stuff. Again, certain butters, uh, vegan versions of butters will be really helpful with that. Um, If you're using a pastry, you can be a little bit more flexible with the type of butter. butter. So you can even use like more of a margarine-based style vegan butter. um, And that allows the pastry to be really flexible. Um, So you can make nice like tarts and pastries and stuff like that. Um, But yeah, there's a lot of really traditional French recipes in here. Um, There's a lot of like sweets as well that... um, are very well known in France, like your macaron. I've got a recipe yes. for macaron and petit. You were talking about meringue. There's petit meringue in there. There's cannelés. Um, so just kind of knowing how to introduce some vegan ingredients, things like flaxseed for eggs and aquafaba and stuff like that. And you really don't need to compromise on taste. You can eat all the tasty things that you love and all of those traditional French recipes that you love too. Okay. I was going to guess that maybe you were doing the meringue with aquafaba. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Aquafaba is great for that. Oh my gosh. Well, that's so cool. And I mean, it seems like kind of the sentiment that that chef had with you were like, oh, you know, this was, you know, thanks for the challenge. Honestly, it's sort of what you embarked upon with with this cookbook is like, hey, you know, this is almost like a pseudo impossible thing to do, but I'm going to yeah. do it. <laughs> and I'll say the thing like that where my experience in France was really like-minded. So maybe the ways in which we sort of like sourced our ingredients were a little bit different in terms of like using plant-based options, but that like rooted passion for cooking and kind of like taking on that challenge and like trying to kind of perfect it into something really beautiful and like creating a really lovely experience. Those core values I really have introduced into the book. And so I like, even though there are those differences in terms of like traditional French versus vegan French, it's all rooted in those core values and things like market shopping. Like there's so much that I learned from my time abroad living in France that made me such a better cook. Like I do not think that I would be (laughs) today if it wasn't for those experiences. Oh my gosh, that's that's amazing. And I feel the same way about my time in Paris, although I, you know, I was much younger and not really as focused on like a culinary career. I just feel like it opens your mind so much to kind of how it's just a different way of doing things and like the respect for ingredients and it, it, it yeah, it's definitely I yeah, can totally get where you're coming from. A hundred percent. And like one of the things in France is like the, the markets are open every day. Like I feel like more like a North American approach is that um 
is that you kind of go to the markets on the weekend and then you Mm -hmm. pop into the grocery store throughout the week. But in France, I could go to the market every single day and there would be different ones. Like there was one near my house that was open Wednesdays and Saturdays. And then if if you walked a little further, it was Sunday and Tuesday. And so you kind of know which ones are open when, and there's, it builds a whole culture around eating fresh. And like one of the things that I loved as well is I remember um, I would go to the markets and I would see kids picking out vegetables and they would, they'd be, their parents would ask them to grab something and they would say something like, Oh, like, can you grab beetroot, which is betrave in uh, French. (laughs) So they are obviously saying it in French, but they would say these, these ingredients or these vegetables and the kids would go grab them and they don't look like what they look like in the grocery store. They're dirty. They're messy. They've got the heads on them. They've got like, they're covered in soil, but the kids know what they are. They know what these vegetables are. And that was really cool to see. Like it's such, it's learning, from such a young age. Um, and I found that really inspiring. Yeah. And so I see that you have a little one yourself now. Yeah, I and do. So, yeah. How, so tell me about your baby. Oh my God. I literally have the biggest smile on my face right now. I'm so, I'm so obsessed with him. <laughs> so his name is Oliver. He's seven months old. Um, I'm hoping that he'll be really into cooking. Uh, one of the things that like one of the first things that I got when um, I was getting close to having him while I was pregnant is I got this um, high chair for him to eat, but it had like a newborn insert so I could put him in it like right when he was a newborn and I used to put it like when he was that little I would put it right close to where I was cooking and I'd be like chopping all the vegetables and he like like looking at all the colors and like trying to get him like as close as possible to like the action while like obviously keeping him safe (laughs) but but yeah so I'm like really try like I really would love to adopt those habits that we learned in France and that's also one of the things like when we moved home I was, I mean, obviously, of course, I was excited to move home, but also like very disappointed in some ways because I learned so much while I was there and I felt like I changed so much uh, in terms of like our way of life. Um, And it's one of the things that I really tried to like keep as an important aspect of my life moving forward is that interest in food and how I source that food and kind of bringing that in with Ollie at a young age. So like now, um, since moving home, like I'm a part of a farm share and where I live, there's quite a lot of, uh, farms around here. And so like every Thursday throughout the summer and actually quite like quite far into the fall in early December, uh, I can walk down with Oliver to the main street and we can pick up fresh organic produce in a box every single Thursday. And so, yeah, kind of like introducing that and keeping that alive and hopefully passing that on to like the next generation in our family is is our goal. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that is absolutely adorable. And I feel like you sort of answered the majority of my next question, which is like, you know, how are you kind of instilling your you know, culinary, you know, perspectives with your baby. Um, So do you think you're going to have him be uh, plant-based or I guess I don't know how that works. That's definitely the goal. I mean, I would love for him to take on a vegan diet because that's definitely how we eat. Um, I know like – I'm probably not going to be able to be like so hardlined and so strict as like he gets a little bit older and goes to parties and stuff like that. But yeah, definitely 
in our household, like we eat vegan. So I would like to continue with that. Um, and then kind of like teaching him like the reasons why and sort of the benefits and, um, letting him experiment as well. Um, I know I've like listened to, um, like other plant-based podcasts with kids and stuff and, um, and sort of like taking their approach where, uh, like you don't make it like, so that it's like, um, sort of like a, a, not, I can't think of the right word, not like a punishment in any way, but sort of yeah. like removing those restrictions and being like, Hey, like we eat vegan in our home. If you want to dabble a little bit, like allowing them to kind of dabble in the hopes that they come back to this like core value, um, but not making it feel like it's like very highly enforced. Yeah. Yeah. Like forced upon them and yeah, you know, exactly. all their friends and like, you know, kids in school are eating whatever. <laughs> if that's how like you approach it. So um, I know that's still like a little while away. Um, so like hopefully fingers crossed, I have a few glorious years where I don't, <laughs> yeah. where I don't worry about this, but this is sort of how I predict it'll go in the future. <laughs> okay. Well, best of luck with that. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be interesting at the very least. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and I will say, like, the good thing now, I feel like with Ollie coming in at this day and age, like, it's so easy to be vegan now. Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking at a completely different environment than it was, like, 10 years ago. Um, like, there's, like, so many different kinds of, like, meat variations. So, like, if he goes to a party and they offer ver- burgers, like, he can have a vegan burger and, like, even vegan ice creams and stuff like that. And I'll also say while I was in France, like I really watched the culture of veganism unfold there. So like when I first got there, definitely I noticed the struggle, but then as the years progressed, like there was a vegan restaurant that opened like literally three minutes from my front door. Um, Really? So like I really watched it unfold and I watched these restaurants open and like I even built like a little community within France of a bunch of other vegan restaurant owners and um, Petit Magasin, which is like little shops where they um, they offer vegan products. And like we would text each other on Instagram and stuff and be like, where do you get your coconut yogurt? And like all <laughs> resources. So it was really cool to watch it unfold. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad that it is evolving in that way there. Cause I assume it was much further behind than like the U S was and like some other, you know, yeah. areas of the world that were probably had cuisines that were easier to flex into <laughs> veganism. Like, I but- when I was sort of, um, like leaving Toronto to go to France. Like I feel like the vegan plant-based eating was sort of picking up here and it was a little bit more of a slow adoption in France. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's super interesting. And I feel like what, you know, hearing from you, how you were able to kind of watch that unfold and like make it work there is like, <laughs> It was a, it was like a challenge, like a challenge accepted kind of thing. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I love that. All right. We're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. I'm Chava Perivan, co-host of Agave Road Trip on HRN here to talk about 818 Tequila. 818 creates their tequila using traditional methods that a family owned and operate distillery in Jalisco, Mexico. From the blue agave they grow to their recycled glass bottle, 818 emphasizes the Earth's importance in all they do. Their distillery runs on biomass and solar power, which means they don't rely as much on fossil fuels and are able to reduce their carbon footprint. Their labels, corks, and boxes are all certified by the Forest Stewardship Council as coming from sustainability-managed forests. 
A1A is a proud member of 1% for the Planet, through which they support HRN as well as Sacred, my organization in Jalisco, where together we transform agave byproducts and water waste into adobe bricks that are donated to local infrastructure projects, like a local library in Zapotitlan de Vadillo. Visit drink818.com to learn more about their sustainability efforts and find 818 near you. 818 has been part of so many magical nights for me, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly. So when you're, you know, at home, I know you both, your whole family apparently at this point is vegan. And so how, what are some ingredients that you kind of always have on hand to kind of aid in living that lifestyle easily? Yeah. So, I mean, definitely like the vegan butter I was talking about, like, and our favorite is the Miyoko's. Um, I find that it's the best alternative to traditional butter. So I use that a lot in cooking and baking. Um, coconut oil is another really good one because it's a solid form, uh, at room temperature. Um, Mm -hmm. so that on hand. And then in terms of making things like uh, creamy or cheesy, um, raw cashews is like my number one. We always have raw cashews in our house. And I've got a chapter in the book that is dedicated all to fromage, um, (laughs) fromage, (laughs) (laughs) cashew based and adding the right ingredients can really add that cheesy texture. So one of the things that uh, vegans will do is they'll add nutritional yeast, which is sort of this like flaky, um, like ingredient, like it's, it's dry. You get sprinkles on things if people haven't heard of nutritional yeast. Um, and it adds a really nice cheesy umami flavor to things. So, um, we'll use that a lot. And with the cashews, um, you can make a lot of different vegan cheeses with that, or even like vegan sauces. I've got a bechamel sauce in the cookbook, which uses cashews. Um, and then you can do like a vegan Alfredo. I've got one of those on the blog. So, um, lot of different things that you can do with cashews. It's, it's an amazing ingredient. And then also nutritional yeast is, is a really, um, common ingredient that I use a lot. And it's also really good for you. Like it's really high in B vitamins. So, um, really, it's really good for you. And I think, um, they say that vegans are sort of deficient in B vitamins. It's harder for us to get it. And, uh, nutritional yeast is a really, really great source for that. Okay. Well, good to know. I mean, I've used it before, but I, I never really understood what about it made it cheesy, and I yeah. still don't. <laughs> like, I think it's the fact that it's like a yeast. So I'm pretty sure that it comes from – oh, I might be getting this wrong, but I'm pretty sure that it comes from beer. And so oh. in the manufacturing process, um, they kind of like – the yeast rises to the top, and they like – they like swipe it out and then they use that to make tradi- uh, nutritional yeast. I might be getting that wrong, <laughs> but I, I mean, think that's, that's the story behind nutritional yeast. You've got me convinced. So that's, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> I believe you. No problem. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. And it's really, really good for you. So, and it tr- you should try sprinkling it on your avocado toast. It's really good. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I have some, I just never really, you know, I, I, every time I think about, I'm like, oh, you know, I should try some more plant-based things. I'm still in the the phase of like making like very mild swaps here and there, but without like, 
you know, really committing full throttle. So I have like little things, you know, like I've made the milk switch and I, you know, I have nutritional yeast and these other things, but I don't like really incorporate it like day in and day out. So it's a, it's a long and winding road. There are so many ways to introduce nutritional yeast as well. Like in my cookbook, um, I use it for sweet recipes too, like desserts. Like I've got a really? creme brulee and a creme caramel and the littlest amount of nutritional yeast totally enhances that dish. And you wouldn't, it's such a savory ingredient, but there's something about it that just enhances that flavor. So yeah, there's a lot of different ways you can experiment with nutritional yeast. (laughs) Okay. Well, good to know. Challenge accepted. I will be happy to give that a whirl. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, was there anything else important that I didn't ask you yet, Miss Hannah? No, I think that you kind of covered everything. Um, yeah, thanks for all the questions. And it was fun to kind of talk about, you know, where it all began and yes. my my life in France. Um, it was such an integral part of me starting Two Spoons and the way that I cook. And I really wanted this book to kind of tribute that um, because it really has like turned me into the type of cook that I am. So hopefully um, for anyone who gets the book, they can have that experience as well. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, it sounds amazing. I'm jealous. I want to go to France. Um. (laughs) Now that COVID is clearing up a little, like in terms of travel, um, my husband and I are like, we need to get over there. We miss it so much. Friends. I know. I miss it. I miss it every single day. And it's been, I mean, I was there in 2014 and I haven't gone back. So it's, it's, it's high time. I think I I saw on Netflix that like Emily in Paris has come back out and I'm like, I so want to watch this, but also I think it's going to make me really sad. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. Every time I see a show that's like based in Paris or even every time I have like a really good croissant or like that French dinner I was having you about the other night, I'm like, (laughs) I know. Right. It's like, well, you can make the croissants from my book and pretend. Yes, exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Those are a labor of love. I don't think I've ever made them myself. It seems daunting, but I I trust you. I will say that that recipe is a little bit more involved, but it is well worth the effort. Like it's one of my favorites from the book for sure. (laughs) If you say so. (laughs) Dedicate dedicate like a Sunday morning to doing it. I promise. Okay. Yes. (laughs) Yes. It'll be therapeutic. Well, thank you so much for telling your story and sharing all of that about your inspiration and your upbringing and all of your culinary experiences. It's been a pleasure and a thrill to hear about it. And I feel super inspired to a try more vegan food and b eat more French food. So that's, you know, a win (laughs) in and of itself. (laughs) Definitely. Thank you so much for having me on. This was such a pleasure, Alexa. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is The Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef, or restaurateur, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.